This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. Let the reopening begin. Premier Doug Ford announced on Thursday a three-phase loosening of restrictions, which begins on January 31st with the reopening of indoor dining, gyms, and theaters with 50% capacity. Phase one also allows for indoor gatherings of 10 people and outdoor gatherings of 25. The next date for easing restrictions is February 21st and March 14th after that. In the moments after the news was announced, Libby was joined for reaction by Perry Tuccioni, board of directors member of the Fitness Industry Council of Canada and part of its Ontario leadership team, and Larry Isaacs, president of the Firkin Group of Pubs. Libby, I think we're very cautiously optimistic at this point in time. We've seen the openings and closings happening four times now during the pandemic. We've been closed for 440 days by the end of January over the past 22 months. Uh, We've lost a number of staff over that time, a lot of products in and out and throwing things away as we open and close. So as I say, cautiously optimistic and as we see the path forward, excited to head out of the winter and hopefully get back to what we call normal, which we don't know what that is uh, very soon. And uh, opening at 50%, that can work for you? Look, at the end of the day, we'll take what we can get at this point in time. As, as I've explained, and we've chatted about this before, our business operates on a very, very small margin. We make 5% profit at 100% occupancy. So 50% is not going to get us there, but it's a start. It gets our employees back uh, on the payroll. We get also some help of the subsidies, which are very, very needed, but not helpful on the, on the wage subsidy. When we closed, we can't use it. So we're excited about getting our employees back, and hopefully they'll all be back. We've just laid them off, you know, recently. So it's not, a, it's not an ideal situation, but as I said, we'll take whatever we can get at this point in time. Perry, what about you? What's the situation in gyms? Well, the gyms are the same situation as the restaurants. Um, so we have that same take as cautious optimistic. Uh, with, you know, the mandated shutdown, the fourth one, like on Ontario has been hit the hardest and has the most, has the longest shutdown days in any jurisdiction in North America. And we've been hit very, very hard. The fitness industry a little bit harder because we don't even have the option of, of takeout. You know, it's just, you have to come to the facility. So we're, you know, 50% it's a start. And like, and what's going to happen? What's happened? A lot of people have moved to online classes, but with the online, this happened. Gosh, I think it was probably like 15 years ago when the big home gym sales were kicked up. You don't get the same experience at home uh, that you do in a club. Some people will stick with online, but people want to get back to the gyms because they want that interaction, the better equipment, the most, the environment that goes with it. The gyms are offering, uh, some of them were offering uh, virtual classes, but it really didn't do very well for most of the gyms. It didn't help. It didn't help to really offset the closures. That's the unfortunate part. Being closed and with virtual options, it's opened up a whole new market for the future, which doesn't help today that 
get more people active. We'll get people, hopefully more people back in the gym. We'll lose some, but we'll make up for that for other people who want to really take their fitness and their program to the next level. What about staffing in your industry? Have people gone on to other types of jobs? Very difficult. We're experiencing the same challenges as all the other small businesses as well. Um, a lot of personal trainers went underground and they kind of started their own in homes, things like that. And it's like, oh, wow, we have our own business and they're not going back. So gyms right now are having tr- real challenges finding trainers, even admin staff, management. They, you know, some people have left the industry, tried all other things. We're having a huge challenge trying to get, uh, staffing for all of our facilities. Doesn't matter if it's a small boutique or a, you know, a large multi-club chain. Long road ahead, Perry, what would you like to leave us with? Same with the fitness industry. Each operator is in debt, incurred debt of up to around $80,000, $190,000 that they have to pay back, even with the subsidies. And the subsidy, we've been locked down four times, but they don't just, they don't match the subsidies with that. Like there's $10,000 appreciative, but it really is just really a little cookie that doesn't help a lot. And with the federal government, they haven't added with the shutdowns and help. We're part of the solution. If, if you know, we have the rules to operate safely and can control it better than most environments with the, with software that we have to book appointments and keep things clean and safe. And, but you know, people overlooked the, the benefits of physical and mental health to get us through this pandemic as well. Perry Tuccheroni, board of directors, member of the Fitness Industry Council of Canada and part of its Ontario leadership team, and Larry Isaacs, president of the Firkin Group of Pubs. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Now it's time for the doctor's perspective on the coming loosened COVID restrictions. Given that we don't know the actual day-to-day COVID numbers because of less testing, the good news is that the rate of infections fueled by the Omicron variant has slowed, although it has not yet declined. Also joining Libby on Thursday, Dr. Alon Vaisman, infectious disease specialist at the University Health Network, and Dr. Barry Pekas, the medical officer of health for York Region. Right now is not the right time to ease up. Unfortunately, that's not what uh, the premier announced. He, of course, announced that we would be easing up, but not for another uh, two weeks or so or 11 days. So um, it's certainly... Uh, true that we've seen a decrease in the acceleration of cases right now, and, and there's some good and hopeful signs um, about, you know, from wastewater, from cases generally in positivity and our admissions. I think we're just at the beginning of signs of hope. So I think the announcement is, uh, you know, giving people a little bit of, of certainty, perhaps, about what they can expect, and, and certainly businesses. Um, but uh, it's, it is a bit tenuous. So, you know, I, I certainly think that um, things could go the other way, uh, potentially, and, and uh, I'm sure that the, the Premier and the Cabinet and the CMOH office would respond, um, you know, and, and potentially change that day if that happens. I certainly hope it won't happen, and, and this is a reasonable plan for the next couple of months, uh, though somewhat optimistic. Dr. Vaisman, what's your view? Yeah, I think most of the signs, at least in the Toronto area, from our hospital shows like things are improving very slowly, and they're right at the beginning of it. Um, and the question is really what's going to happen 11 days from now at the end of January to change all that. And the big one is the schools. So kids returning to schools as of yesterday means that we might see another bump. It may not elevate to the same peak that we saw earlier in January, but I think that's the big wild card to see what effect schools has. And I think most people would anticipate that it will have an effect in the case numbers rising and transmitting to staff again and to frontline staff of all sorts of workers and 
in that case, then, you know, opening up at the end of January may not be the best timing. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, that it was a political imperative uh, more than, uh, you know, a, a good read of the medical evidence, uh, Dr. Pegas. You know, it, it is, uh, you know, it, throughout the pandemic, throughout the two years of the pandemic, I think we've seen that, you know, politics, economics, health, you know, when, when there's a pandemic like this that overwhelms everything in every society, that there are political dimensions to everything. And I think we, we do need to live with that. So, you know, I, I think um, we all acknowledge that. Um, I, I really do agree with Dr. Vaseman that, that the school's piece is, is a bit of an unknown. And in addition to just the increase in cases, which I think, you know, may be modest, I think what's important to, to keep in mind is one of the challenges for hospitals and all essential services across the board is, you know, people needing to isolate if somebody is in their household um, that is ill. And even though that isolation period is, is very much restricted now, with schools opening and kids potentially becoming ill, even if there isn't this increase in transmission that leads to new admissions, what it very well might do for a short time is, is put additional strain on many services, including healthcare services, because some of those people who work there may need to stay home. There's all kinds of measures that we have to keep those people in the workforce through testing and various other means, but that's another challenge that we're facing with this with this reopening, and, and it's yet to be seen what kind of impact that'll have. Let me ask you a personal question, Dr. Pekas. Are you ready to go to a restaurant to eat indoors or to go to the gym? Uh, you know, I'm, I would certainly be looking forward to both of those things. Um, you know, in, for the situation I am uh, in, um, it can be potentially safe. And I think restaurants is a reasonable place to start. They have suffered a lot during the pandemic. And if done properly, I, I think it can be done in a reasonably safe way. Uh, Dr. Vaisman, same personal question to you. Yeah, I agree. I, I think uh, when you're looking at these decisions, you, I think there's really two distinct questions you ask yourself. Is it safe for me and my family? And is it good for the general population? And I know it's hard to, for people to kind of care about the general situation in Ontario, but that's the second thing that you really need to consider. So although for me personally, I wouldn't have a problem of eating indoors. I'm triply vaxxed. My family's vaccinated. We don't have any compromised people in my family. I, I feel totally comfortable from a safety perspective. The question is, is how am I affecting the overall situation in my region and my province? Are you contributing to that problem of overwhelming the system? Dr. Alan Vaisman, infectious disease specialist at the University Health Network in Toronto, and Dr. Barry Pekas, medical officer of health for York Region. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Coming up after the break, small relief from skyrocketing inflation. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. On Wednesday, we talked about our electricity bills and how the Ford PCs at Queen's Park are giving us a bit of relief. Given that many Ontario residents are back at home more of the time because of restrictions related to Omicron, Off-peak rates are being implemented around the clock for three weeks for families, workers, and small businesses. Fightback had some questions about who gets the relief, the amount of the discount, and whether you have to do anything to get it. 
Libby was joined by Paul Accioni, a senior management consultant with over 48 years of engineering and management experience in the nuclear and fossil power generation industry, and Peter Tabbins, NDP MPP for Toronto Danforth. As far as I know, Libby, uh, it's automatic. It's just a change to our bills. Uh, so I don't think people are going to have to submit any forms. Uh, but I, I have to say, although it's welcome, it really is a small drop in the bucket in the kind of help that people in Ontario need. You know, I talk to small businesses in my riding, the, the programs that have been announced. Uh, they're, they're not really sure that these will help them stay alive. And frankly, if we're going to get people back to work when this is all behind us. We need those workplaces to survive. Uh, and I know for a lot of my residents who are tenants, uh, they're really stretched to the limit. And uh, the failure to bring back in a moratorium on evictions is making them very, very nervous because they, they don't know if they'll be able to hold on to their homes. So I, I think, sure, if you're going to offer us some support, We'll take it, but I think if you're actually going to look after the people in this province, you have to think bigger. Paul uh, Accioni, just getting back to my original question, because there's language in this release, uh, you know, suggesting people who qualify, but if it's automatic, uh, I'm assuming that that they can't parse it that way. No, it's it's going to be applied to everybody uh, on their bill. They don't have to do anything. The utilities will just recompute the rates uh, for those that three-week period. So they'll have to make some software changes to their programs so that you get the bill correctly issued to you. But it'll it'll be it'll be automatic. And and for the average the average residential consumer, it represents about a twenty percent discount on the energy cost. This is the commodity cost in your bill. Ah, so it's not even because I was looking up the average bill in Ontario is about ninety-five bucks a month. Am I correct? It, you you are, and uh, the commodity the commodity portion uh, of the bill um, it doesn't represent the the whole amount because a lot of people don't don't realize in the delivery charge there's approximately two cents per kilowatt hour that's charged for trans uh, transmission, and there's about a uh, $25 to $40, depending on your utility, $25 to $40 a month, which is a flat charge for, for basically your distribution system and for billing you every month. So, so it, it's not, it's not 20% on the, on the whole bill. It's 20% of the commodity or the energy cost. Sorry, it's, it's half of the, the energy cost. That, that, that's another whole thing. As a matter of fact, our, our, uh, morning Zoom show co-host Sam Houston was saying, uh, you know, are we going to get any guidance on how to read the energy bill? So, <laughs> it's, so. it's complicated because a lot, of, a lot of the detail is hidden in the line items, like the delivery charge is a, a mishmash of all kinds of stuff that's energy related, uh, flat monthly related. Um, and, and, and so the average person doesn't know how to take it apart. But, but if for those of you who are, who are interested and, and you have a spreadsheet and you want to do the calculations yourself, you can go to the OEB site and uh, ask uh, for a download of the OEB rate, uh, rate orders. And, uh, and you can pick the utility that, that, that uh, services you. And there are tables at the back uh, that gives you all the uh, gory details for those of you who are mathematically uh, inclined. What would you like to leave us with, uh, Peter Tabbins? Ten bucks is better than no bucks, but I think if the 
the Ford government actually wants to help people in Ontario. It needs to uh, deal with the lack of paid sick days. It needs to be supporting small businesses so they survive and can provide jobs when we get through this pandemic. Uh, it needs to be thinking bigger about how all of us will get through this instead of making small announcements that sound big but really don't deliver the goods. Peter Tabbins, NDP MPP for Toronto Danforth, and Paul Accioni, a senior management consultant with nearly 50 years of engineering and management experience in the nuclear and fossil power generation industry. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. More now on our personal finances. Inflation has hit a 30-year high which is no surprise to anyone who shops for anything, especially groceries. The annual rate from December of 2020 to December of 2021 is a whopping 4.8%. But food, the most basic of basics, has gone up more than that, 5.7%, and is projected to increase again in the coming year. Then there's the price of gas, which is 30% higher than in December of 2020. Let's not forget higher costs for anything with a microchip, a new washing machine, or a new or used car. For perspective on what's happening, Libby was joined by David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer of CARP and Vice President at Zoomer Media, and Dr. Talon Ezjohn, Professor in the Department of Economics at Dalhousie University. I think uh, we had a perfect storm uh, right before the pandemic hit the world. There was already a bit of a trade war between the United States and China. It, we knew that it was going to have an impact on supply chains. Uh, but right on the heels of that, we had the pandemic that uh, started percolating through the supply chains. We all know that. And over the last year, energy prices uh, increased quite dramatically. So uh, we are in a perfect storm. I think it's a fairly global phenomenon, uh, but I don't expect this to last uh, for much longer than what we have seen, the pandemic side of the things and the supply chain things. And it will take time for sub- supply chains to adjust to this thing, but I don't, I'm not uh, certain that it's going to last forever. Well, that, that's that's a bit of good news. David, what have you been hearing from CARP members? I hope not forever. Well, our our members, CARP members, and indeed the members of the Zoomer demographic, because, precisely because of age and the high percentage who are on fixed incomes, are exceptionally worried about this. It's the number one preoccupation. Over 80% of uh, our members say they are highly worried about inflation. I don't think they're uh, terribly optimistic about um, it being uh, perhaps as short-term as some are predicting, uh, because in addition to the supply chain issues, um, we have record federal debt. We've lived through this movie before and <clears throat> seen the effects of inflation uh, prolonged over a period of time. And we know that the more uh, the government increases the money supply with the uh, huge deficits, the harder it is to get this under control. So I would say it's a time of very high anxiety in our corner of the world. 
Professor East John, it's been an uneven pandemic. Some people have done very well, thank you very much, and have managed to sock away a lot of money. Stock market's been great. Uh, so what do you see in terms of that, in terms of the really uneven impact financially? That's an excellent question. I don't hear that question being posed uh, a lot, uh, in fact, even in academics. It's a fantastic question because inflation has always been uh, sort of... something that affected people unevenly. Some people benefited from that, and uh, some people lost. Uh, If you're uh, in a fixed income security, of course, uh, you're going to suffer from that. And if you're sometimes in in other sort of investments, you'll benefit from that. As you mentioned, uh, the stock market versus the uh, fixed income people. But we are also seeing through this pandemic record profits by some household name companies. And uh, and we have over the years also seen incredible market consolidation and 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 uh, and, uh, and and pricing power of these of these firms have increased. So whatever costs uh, increases they have seen, they've they were able to pass it on to on to consumers. And uh, so yes, this has been a boon for some uh, for some companies and uh, and record profits even in some uh, agricultural uh, companies, uh, main distributors. And certainly not a good news, a high level of anxiety among uh, among people uh, with fixed income. So I think David's point is uh, uh, right on the money. It, it, it does create an incredible amount of anxiety. And your question is right on the money as well. It, it has been an uneven process. So we have to address both of these issues. Um, so it's a mixed bag. I think uh, your question is the exact the type of question we should be asking. Who's benefiting from that? Who's losing in that? And how can we help those people who are actually losing and the vulnerable groups especially? Dr. Talan Isjohn, professor in the Department of Economics at Dalhousie University, and David Kravitz, chief membership officer of CARP and vice president at Zoomer Media. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Bill in Toronto called about a short-term electricity rate cut being offered by the Ford PCs during Omicron restrictions. My worry is, like, who, who's really going to pay for this in the end? I think Hydro is already subsidized on an ongoing basis, if I'm not mistaken. So I've got one level of government now adding an additional subsidy. And meanwhile, I've got another level of government that taxes me for the natural gas to heat my house. So one's giving and one's taking. You know, I think the problem here is government getting involved in it. Maybe we should let private industry do it. Marissa in Brampton phoned on the day Premier Ford announced the first stage of reopening for January 31st. I'm um, triple vaxxed. Everyone in my family is uh, vaxxed, uh, but I don't feel safe. I feel like we're still flying by the seat of our pants. Like, I am uh, a very cautious person by nature, 
and I understand the business point of view, businesses are are hurting. I would much rather donate, make a donation to a restaurant rather than go in and eat. But I know that like not anybody, not everybody feels that way. So it is a problem. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week is David Imbrampton, who also called about the news indoor dining and gyms will reopen to 50% capacity on January 31st. I'm a senior. I'm 76 years old. And, uh, you know, I mean, part of my physical and mental health is going to a gym every day. I've been doing that ever since I retired, right? Yep. Now, I have people there that I've known for years, and this is part of my social life. You know, uh, we all um, are doing healthy activities and and stuff like that. And this is something that should be encouraged, especially for seniors. You know, if their mental health and physical health, and part of that is regular exercise. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join us again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.